Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Lowe Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today. Hey, it's Kyle Meredith, host of the Kyle Meredith with podcast presented by WFPK at WFPK.org and the Consequence Podcast Network. It's a series that puts the spotlight on iconic musicians and actors, inviting them to drop by and talk about their latest projects, whether it's albums, TV shows, films, or beyond. I'm going to say something I don't want to say. Here it goes. Without Spinal Tap, there is no Tenacious D. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) Man. We get great stories and the biggest scoops from people like Garbage's Shirley Manson, the 1975's Matty Healy, Jack Black and Kyle Gass of Tenacious D, Maya Hawk, Kiefer Sutherland, and everyone in between. New episodes arrive every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover some new ones. You can find Kyle Meredith with on the Consequence Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. In 2019, Louisiana doom metal band Thou played on NPR's Tiny Desk program. Their set was creepy, low-key, and quite possibly one of the eeriest performances ever on that show. When the group aren't stirring unsettling emotions, utilizing stillness and chilling quiet vibes like they did on Tiny Desk, they play some of the most guttural doom metal sounds out there, with long, slow builds, brutal guitar riffs, and frightening, screaming vocals. In other words, it is the antithesis of Ska. But the shocking twist of the story is that Thou has Ska connections. Our guest today on In Defense of Ska includes two members of Thou, singer Brian Funk and bassist Mitch Wells. In the 90s, Brian was a huge fan of many Ska punk bands like The Suicide Machines and local New Orleans group The Superflies. Mitch, on the other hand, is connected to Ska because he shot two of the recent Bad Operation videos and edited all four of them. Though their music doesn't scream Ska, these connections show that Ska finds its way into unlikely corners of the universe. Ska is always seen as this kind of fast, upbeat, happy music, and Thou is just like the slowest, darkest sounding music possible like the vocals are like super buried in the mix everything's just like overdriven and slow like to the point where it's it's so loud that everything starts to sound quiet again i'm I'm super into it yeah they're they're connected to the community records guys right uh their bass player mitch 
did a uh, shot two of their bad, bad operation videos and edited all four of them. And this is what got me interested in having them on the show because I saw his name listed on the videos. And I asked Greg at community about it. And he told me that the singer, Brian was a ska fan back in the nineties who soured on ska by the late nineties. And I said, we got to have both of them on because that's amazing. I feel like that's, that's a trajectory. A lot of punk rockers went with, with ska. Yeah. Eventually, you know, some, some people grow out of it or, or move past it, or they just get soured by, by certain types of ska bands. And Brian surprised us, I would say by making a two hour ska mixtape for us before the show. It's such a good mixtape. Yeah. Too. Had you heard all the bands on it before? I hadn't heard of Zox. I didn't know Zox. I liked Zox. And uh, there was some a few others I hadn't heard of. I, I was impressed. I I didn't expect him to have gone that deep into the genre. There were some some really good tracks on there. Uh, standout track for me was the uh, Impossibles track that he included. So, Brian, you are the our very first guest to ever make us a Scott Punk mixtape before the show. Hell yeah. And I got to say, this is a pretty rad mix. It's, it's funny because I'll probably, uh, the guests that'll like Scott the least of all your guests. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, when I heard that you like Scott, Greg from um, Community Records told me that you had a past with Scott. <laughs> I didn't expect you. Yeah, this is how I found out about your secret Scott past. I didn't expect you to make a list with bands this obscure or this, you know, this these are bands that people were that were into Scott in the 90s were aware of. But not beyond that. I mean, I was into ska in the nineties. I, I, I uh, okay. I, I was into ska when I was like fifteen or sixteen, so it would have been like ninety five, ninety six when I got into it, and I probably lost interest by ninety nine, two thousand, somewhere around there. Well, let's let's hear about your your intro. Let's hear about your intro to ska. Like how how it how I got started. Yeah, yeah. I want to hear how you got started. Was it um, radio music or was it like local ska punk bands? It was, uh, I had started getting into punk in general, and I asked a couple of friends of mine that I thought were into punk to make me mixtapes and um, thought were into it. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, they're, you know, they're just, you know, how, you know how it is when you're a kid, you see these people and they look like, oh, this looks like this person is into like this kind of music or whatever, because how they dress or. I thought you meant, I thought they were into punk and then I heard this mixtape. Yeah, 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 they were not <laughs> into punk. No, I mean, they were, they were in all kinds of, but you know, you know what I'm saying? Like they have bands scrawled on their school bag or whatever. Um, so both of those guys ended up putting different stuff on tapes for me at different times that uh, sort of led me into it. Like basically the, the friend group I had, like my main kind of friend group in high school, right before I started hanging out with them or like right as I started hanging out with those guys, they, um, they went to, to see Rancid play. And Suicide Machines opened up for Rancid. And uh, so my buddy got that Skank for Brain CD at that show. And so a bunch of those songs made it onto this mixtape I had. Uh, and then that MU330 song that he had recorded off of uh, the WTUL punk show. It's like the college radio station like punk show. Uh, that was on the tape. And probably some no effects. Um, so I don't know. That was like sort of the rough you know and you know how it was back i mean i don't know how old you guys are but like for me in the 90s when you were getting into those bands or whatever any kind of punk bands like that it was a mix between like um invest like heavily investigating the thanks list 
and looking, trying to track down every band they thanked, and then um, uh, going through mail order catalogs and basically like looking at all those descriptions of bands and just ordering things on a whim. So that was that was and ordering a lot of comps. Like I used to get a lot of compilations back in the day to just just to get you know fine bands I would like. Yeah, compilations were were such a big deal. And then there were a lot more people tabling shows. Like when I first got into punk and stuff. So like you you go to a show and there'd be a random distro with all kinds of stuff and you just buy stuff randomly or you chat up the person and kind of kind of find your way around things. I was also when I when I first uh got into like punk in general, I was just going to shows. Like any show I found out about, I would go to. Cause I, when I was like I started driving when I was fifteen and my, my parents aren't aren't very strict in terms of like they weren't really like keeping an eye on me or asking me where I was going or I didn't have a curfew or any of that kind of stuff. So like I would just go wherever I wanted to go and find punk shows. And, you know, you go to a show and if, if I could get a flyer for some other show, I'd get the flyer and I'd go to whatever the other show was. So I was just constantly track, you know, trying to on the hunt for stuff. Back then, did you feel like shows were a little bit more like mixed up? Like it wasn't just like a straight ska bill. There'd be different bands on the shows. Uh, yeah. I mean, back then it felt like there wasn't a lot of stuff coming through here at all mm, yeah. in, in any kind of genre I was into. It was like, like for the ska stuff, definitely for hardcore apps and then the hardcore I got into. Absolutely. I, I was like the hardcore stuff that I wanted to see not coming through here is basically what prompted me to start like going out of town to Birmingham and Houston and Atlanta and Pensacola and all these mobile, all these different places to like, track down shows uh that was a little bit out, after all the ska stuff but um yeah i don't know i mean I, I would go to so many shows with like bands i didn't know who they were and it was like when i was in the sky i wasn't you know i wasn't even really just in the sky i was just into like kind of punk stuff so mm-hmm. i was just going to like anything that seemed weird and interesting so ska was kind of a subgenre of, of punk to you at that point it was like a gateway into that. I mean, I, I got, I got in, I got into the ska stuff because I liked a handful of those bands or a handful of like songs really. And then, um, I mean like any, like anything else I, when, when I get into like, uh, something like genre specific, I'll probably, I'll do like a deep dive into like whatever that is and like try to listen to like 300 of those bands mm you know, for, for months and months or years. And then it finally kind of gets to the point where it's like, Oh, you know what? I only really like like five of these bands. Like I don't like all 300 of these, you know, ding dong bands. And, and I kind of weed out like the, the song, you know, my, my like a song by band or whatever. Yeah. I like on this list, for instance, you have the song, nothing, you have the band, nothing cool. The song, my life. The, and you said, this is, this is like the kind of Scott punk I was into. I don't even know this. I don't even know nothing cool. I never heard that song before. <laughs> I thought they were a West Coast band, but I, I could be wrong. Had you heard this song before, Adam? You know this band? I feel like I feel like we played with them back in the day. Um, the one that really stuck out to me was um, Coquettish. Um, I really like that song. I wish it was recorded better. I kind of like that shitty recording. That's like what made me like what made me like the song. Like it like kind of remind me of Choking Victim or something. Like kind of crusty, totally ish sounding. Are they are they a West Coast band? No, they're they're a Japanese band. That, that's I see. Okay, that's what I was about to say. It's like I always had in my head for some reason they're a Japanese band, but then but then for some reason looking back, I was like, no, I think they were like a like a skate punk West Coast band. 
I mean, they definitely took influence from from like West Coast skate punk type sounds. We we played with them out in Japan um, in like 2000. And uh, I just remember their lead singer. He just seemed like Blanca to me. Like he had like the big hair and he, he was he had no shoes on. I just remember him up on the monitor, like crouching on the monitor, screaming. And like you could see like his toes gripping the monitor. And I was just like, wow, this is awesome. And they still play. They're great. I love that there's like some of these entries have little stories in them. I want to ask you about some of them, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Sublime. Um, I appreciate what you have to say about Sublime. I feel the same way about Sublime. Uh, I dislike most of their popular songs, but I like them as a band because I think they were actually a super interesting, eclectic band, but their, their douchiest songs were the ones that were really popular. Um, but I like this whole thing about uh, you used to go. Okay. So on tour, I guess you used to just like go to people's houses, like people's houses you stayed at and you would make mixtapes with their collection. Tell me, I would love, you know, I was thinking back about this and like, you know, especially thinking on like vow tours these days. Like, I don't know how, I don't know how we physically had the time to even do that kind of stuff because when we tour now, it's like by the end of the show, like what, well before the end of the show, I'm ready to like be in bed asleep. You know what I mean? Like, so like I, I must, it must've just been when I, because I was so much younger and um, you know, we just stay up all night or whatever. Or if we were, if we were stuck somewhere the next day or if we we're hanging out the next day or something, maybe, maybe I was doing stuff, but yeah, I mean, it'd basically just be like me sitting in somebody's bedroom, pulling stuff out of their CDs and records and making tapes. And then we'd have a tape on tour for, for the longest time, the, the van that uh, I used to have, it only had a tape deck. So that was like kind of part of it too, is that, um, you know, where you're trying to get just more stuff to listen to. Okay. So, so you would just do these after the show then? I mean, I must've been staying up all night. I mean, I, 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 I remember, I remember on the last year diary tour making one in San Diego at some random house we stayed at. I remember, um, in Portland on, I wasn't even a band. I was on some, just some tour I was on like an after party we went to at some Portland house, you know, just some like house party went to after the show. And I just like, was in the living room fucking around like making tapes and um yeah i don't know that's what i'm saying like i don't i don't i don't know how we would even do that like with vows schedule for stuff like i don't know i don't know how we how we'd fit it into the schedule but um d- definitely the, the one i that one i was writing about about the twin cities we we were stuck there for like uh an extra day or two because the van broke down so you know i was that was like a more leisurely labor of love did you typically just like listen closely to these records or were you just like as quick as you could just like boom 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 here's some stuff i've never heard of i'm just gonna put it on here and listen to it later it's like a mix you know it'd be like i would grab i would grab stuff um i would grab bands or whatever that i knew but i would usually put a song on that i didn't really know or i would just grab a random thing that i just wanted to check out or if the person was around, I would I would ask them for suggestions for stuff, and I'd put stuff on it. So it's kind of all over the place, just depending on the situation. Like I remember in San Diego, uh, it was me and my buddy Eric Martinez uh, just hanging out, making this tape, and you know, so we were both just grabbing songs and putting stuff on. You know, part of it too, like when you're like if you're making a tape with somebody else, just sort of like putting stuff on there to like get the other person amped up. So you know, we were kind of trading off like that. I guess like the way people like DJ or whatever, I guess. I see. So you're choking victim entry. I don't know if you want to talk about this, but I'm dying of curiosity. Somebody else has just asked, because I posted this, I have like a Patreon thing and I, I posted the link to this mix on the Patreon. And um, 
Yeah, and uh, yeah, and uh, so the Steve from here was asking about what because uh, I put that they were uh, leftover cracker dish sticks. Well, you just all you, what you wrote was that uh, you had an experience with leftover crack that left a sour taste in your mouth. I used to do shows at some space out in the suburbs here, and uh, I did a show for leftover crack, and this and the space was like a um, it was like almost like a um, like an American Legion hall type place, but not quite. But it, it was like that sort of place in the suburbs. And uh, we basically did shows on the second floor. And then the first floor was like um, like a freezer storage facility. But there was also like a little efficiency apartment that this older lady lived in. And um, at that show, um, either the leftover crack dudes or people they were with or something were basically like breaking bottles out in the, in the parking lot behind the place and like got into some altercation with this, with this lady. This is like super nice old lady. I don't know why they were like, but they're just being like, basically just being like, like little punk dipshits. And um, I don't know. It was just, it was just super. I mean, the fact that they were like busting bottles out there to begin with, it's like, I had to clean that up. It wasn't like there was like some maid service that was going to come in there and like clean that shit up. Like I had to come out there to the broom and like clean up their mess. And this, this leftover crack dudes, like you see those dudes and their clothes are just covered in leftover crack and choking victim patches. You know what I mean? Like I've, I've never seen those dudes not wearing like their own shit, which is, you know, whatever. I know they're like punk crust lords or whatever, but I don't know. They just, they just struck me as like very cheesy and like um, self-centered and whatever. I just thought they were lame. Last one I want to ask you about is the Superflies because this is a band that probably people outside of New Orleans isn't too familiar with, but people in New in New Orleans was an extremely important band, right? Yeah, they. I mean, they were huge down here. I mean, when I when I was a teenager, they were, they were like the big local band. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Greg and and uh, D Ray and those guys they've they've talked to me endlessly about Superflies. Um, but you said that they were. You said here not only that, but that they were really impactful to you. Can you tell me a little bit about why they were so? impactful to you yeah i mean they were just nice down-to-earth cool guys that were like down you know what i mean like they were one of those bands that um you know i was around and going to their shows kind of in their heyday and they seemed like such a like a like a real band you know what i mean and then you just sort of like talk to them and they're like super nice and like willing to talk to you and do whatever and i, I think i kind of when i started um kind of getting to be buddies with them or whatever it was towards the end of the superfly stuff so like they never i never got them on any of the shows that i was putting on but their band it like started up like the band that superflies basically became this band community um they they played a ton of shows i did and um you know it was just, it was just a weird thing of like um one of those like eye-opening experiences where like oh you could just ask these guys to play this rinky dink punk show and they'll do it and they'll be cool with it and they don't care about getting any money they want all the money to go to the touring band and you know they're they're hanging out and having a good time and like being you know being super cool with everybody like i don't know i just i just thought that was that was awesome so it sort of set the tone in a lot of ways for like how i wanted to be in bands i was in or just as a promoter or just in general as a dude hanging around the punk scene or whatever what, what kind of uh what kind of crowds were they drawing were they drawing like what three four hundred or I don't know. I don't know if it was that huge. I mean, New Orleans barely has that many people in the punk scene. Um, you know, and, and especially like, 
in the 90s when I was going to shows, it was like, um, you know, like back then, if you saw a person wearing a band shirt, you would run up to them and talk to them and want to like know everything about them because there was like so few like punk people in in town, you know? Yeah, I don't know. But they definitely played uh, like every like big show. Uh, like Devil Dolls was the big promoter down here for a while. And, uh, and Deborah had them on like, all the bigger shit like the i think the first time i saw suicide machines um they they opened that show yeah it's interesting you said earlier about how you didn't get a lot of bands that came through didn't didn't get a lot of touring bands uh like a lot of bands you wanted to see i remember my band in 95 we toured through the south and i personally wanted to play new orleans just because i wanted to see new orleans because i'd never been to new orleans and I could not get, a, I could not find anyone to book a show there, and so we had to just drive through New Orleans. We stopped for like three hours to, so we could see New Orleans. But that, you know, we played Biloxi, uh, we played somewhere in like West New Louisiana, we played, you know, some town in Alabama. It was, it was weird. Like I just, I thought that was going to be an easy town just because it was such a known town. But yeah, New Orleans was real rough for a lot of bands for a long time. And that's part of why I started putting on shows because uh, I think so many people had trouble having a solid contact down here. I mean, it was basically like you had to be a huge kind of well-known band or you had to know somebody. You didn't have either of those things going for you. It was like pretty tough to get a show. And it's super tough to get a, a good show. I remember touring through there between 98 and, and uh, 2001. And the only place other than when Plea for Peace tour came through, I remember playing at a place called Jimmy's that you mentioned in, in your liners for your yeah. uh, punk tape. Um, and I remember that place being, being pretty cool. What were the, what were the shows like there regularly? Uh, I mean, I don't know what the show was like there for you, but it was hit or miss. I mean, um, if it was a huge band drawing a ton of people, it would be packed and wild. Like I saw, um, AFI and Ensign there. Okay. And that was packed. Uh, that was probably like 98, 97, 98, 99, somewhere around there. And then, um, I saw Suicide Machines play there. It was packed. I saw Vale play there. It was packed. Um, Probably, I think no effects maybe over there. Um, but then I saw like Tuesday and Tuesday in the Broadway's there play to like 10 people. You know, I right. saw Shyster there play to nobody. I saw, um, I don't know, all kinds of bands play there, you know, like five, 10 people. So it just, it just depended. I mean, that's just like a shitty dive bar club type place, like generic, generic rock club. I like that spot and I like that it was uptown. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely not like a, uh, in terms of like a venue, it wasn't like my favorite. The best, the best thing about it was like the back patio that you hang out on that back patio, like the back like courtyard area. I just remember that it, I think we played a matinee and I think it was actually pretty good. Um, and then there was like a, a wooden like loading ramp that I remember rolling the, the gear up and down to, to load in. And then I, I remember that I, is, does, are there cobblestone streets there? where it is yeah it's on it's on willow street it's right by like the streetcar station yeah I, I just remember having to like pull guitar cabs across that street <laughs> yeah yeah yes it's in it's in kind of a weird what 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 band were you in what was it i was i was in link 80 oh yeah okay yeah yeah great what d-ray or somebody uh, mentioned like i saw you guys play at uh the fallberg center uh were, were you in it were you in like were you in the band what, what year was that 
I joined in '98, uh, so it might have been before that. It was it was yeah. definitely definitely late '90s. Yeah, they did like three tours. The last one with Nick was like '97, so that it might have been one of those tours. Uh, I don't know if I saw that Jimmy show, but I I, I definitely saw Link 80 at Fauberg and I saw Link 80 at uh, Cypress Hall. Okay. Were you? Did you? Did that was that's 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 the place in the suburbs I was talking about with leftover crack. Was that were you were you in it then? You know, maybe point oh seven played that. That was like the local one, another like local like younger Scott. That was point oh seven was like the generation after Superflies for like Scott Punk, but they were like sort of contemporaries. They, but they they were like the the kind of kiddie band at the time because they were like a little bit younger. Superflies is like a little bit older than me, and point oh seven guys a little bit younger than me, so they were like uh, the little kid band, I guess. In Defense of Ska will return in a moment. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. I, I mean, I did all the touring from like 98 on, so I did the majority of the tours. But the problem is, is I feel like by the time we would hit Texas on tour, all of us would be really sick. So by the time we would get down yeah. into like, down where you guys were, or like, especially when we got into like Florida, we would all be like, all the shows would just blur together. Yeah, yeah. We'd, be, we'd all be so sick. And I just remember like <laughs> playing in Florida, this super packed place, like Earth Crisis and Strife had played like the week before. And uh, I just remember like our drummer throwing up and just all of us just looking like shit. <laughs> nice. Just because you know, just dumb, dumb kids all <laughs> packed into a van and like half the band smoking and half the band straight edge. The, the first few tours I went on, I used to get pink eye, like every tour. Oh, geez. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how. I wear contact lenses, and I'm not, I'm also not real good about taking care of that stuff. So, like, I don't know. But every, every tour, I'd, I'd get at least for a couple of days. It's terrible. One thing I wanted to ask you about: How do you take care of your voice? I don't. <laughs> so, do you just lose your voice on tour? <laughs> I've only lost it uh, on one tour. Okay. We did. Um, we did a, a a collaboration tour with the body on the West coast. And um, it was when Andy was living in Oakland and Mitch was living in Glendale. And so we hadn't, we hadn't practiced really before the tour. So we basically all met in Glendale um, maybe like the week before we were supposed to leave. And we did like three or four or five days of practicing for that tour, but it was like, we would do, we would do the collabo practice for like two or three or four hours. And then we would do the thou, cause we were playing some thou solo shows. So then we do a thou practice for another few hours. And then we would do, we for Halloween on that tour, we were doing a Nirvana cover set. So then we do the Nirvana practice for like an hour. So we were doing like, I don't know, like eight hour days, every day and and i made the mistake at some point of like not cranking the pa in this practice space as oh, much yeah. as i probably should have and and we didn't tell we didn't tell chip from the bot like he's got like a subwoofer thing in one of his one of his guitar things we we, we should have just had him not use it but but basically i i 
I've screwed my voice up in the practices before we started. And then I was just kind of fucked almost the whole tour. It was miserable. It's like one of the, one of the most miserable tours I've ever been on in my life. It was, it was terrible. Yeah. But other, other than that, uh, I, I don't, I don't really have any problems. I don't, I definitely don't take care of my voice. I don't do the things you're supposed to. I'm not drinking the stuff I'm supposed to be drinking. Um, I'm singing from my throat. Like you're probably not supposed to. Right. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I, I lost my voice when I, uh, once or twice when I first started singing in bands, when I was like 17. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that was like the only time I've ever lost my voice. What, what type of band was, was that? It's like a hardcore band. Just me screaming. Okay. Gotcha. Mor- morality dictates. Yeah. Going, going back to your, um, your mixtape, uh, liners. I, I love that you, you mentioned getting into like stuff on evolution records in the part where you're talking about real big fish, like the dichotomy <laughs> of, of those two things is so great to me. Like this, like super mainstream flick of flick stuff. And then evolution records. I was mainly, I was mainly trying to make the point of, I was kind of a like self-righteous prick about, uh, the, <laughs> you know, not, not really wanting to give them a chance because I was, so, I was just sort of like, you know, uh, the message, the message and the, even just the fact that they were like on MTV and like a popular band was like, Oh, definitely. That was already like a strike against the, like, I don't care. And I, I was already like kind of on my way out of sky at that point, I think. What was right. like probably like 98 or something, uh, 97, 98. So like, I was already kind of like, you know, getting into other things, you know, it's like at that point I discovered earth crisis and I was on a different trajectory. So. Right. I mean, I, the thing that really stuck out to, to me about that is, you know, coming, coming from a ska band that was mostly hardcore influenced, like going out on tour and, and finding out about all these different scenes and all these different subgenres of, of punk. Um, I always felt like, like ska kind of fit in with it, but then it was, I felt like kind of the more OC ska sound, the like slicker MTV sound um, kind of ruined it for all the other ska bands. Yeah. I mean, I don't know the, like the ska thing to me was always, always just seemed like more of a gateway thing than anything else. Like it wasn't something that um, it, it seemed ephemeral and it seemed like something that was like very youth oriented versus like uh there definitely didn't seem it seemed like it was all kids when i was into it and yeah. then when i got out of it you know and like fatter and albert was around or whatever and i was going i was i'd go table the, the shows or whatever like it was like that again it was just kids it was just kids you know what i mean so it always just seemed like it was just like music for for adolescents especially like adolescent boys like just like kid music so you would you would hang out with them, but you weren't really into their music so much. You were just friends with them. I was just at the point where like I sort of like started getting to know like those Fire and Albert guys. It was more like I was going to I I, uh, I volunteered at a anarchist info shop, and uh, I would just go to every show I could go to with like books and records and just set up and table the show. Like I mean, like the shows like when I was a kid. And there was somebody there distroing. I became that dude at the shows, distroing. And and I also like I liked going to those like younger person shows because I I um like I don't I don't drink or whatever. But um, those shows like put me in this sort of like real juvenile mood where I would act out and I would I would be very um, 
I mean, I'm probably not a good, not a good um, representation of myself, but um, you know, I was very, I just very like loud and jokey and like constantly like harassing kids and making fun of kids and um, you know, giving people shit or just, you know, trying to get people to come over to the table and look at stuff. And um, I don't know. I'm, I, I, uh, it's funny. Cause um, I think that the vow has sort of a reputation for being sort of like, you know, little prankster jokester, like kind of little pricks. And um, I, I'm a lot tamer than I was like back in terms of like being like that. Like I'm, I'm a lot less, um, you know, of like a, a, a little boy sucking up all the air in the room type person. I hope, I don't know, maybe not. Do you have any, uh, do you have any specific pranks that you pulled that you're proud of from back in the day? Dude, it was just stupid shit. Like, um, uh, you know, it's at some point a bunch of people thought I looked like Tony Hawk for a while. <laughs> and, and so I would, I had constantly had this thing where I would, um, you know, at those shows where I, I tell people I was Tony Hawk's son and I go on and on about how I was Tony Hawk's son. And if, if anybody had a skateboard, I'd be like, you bring that, I'm Tony Hawk's son. Let me sign your skateboard. Bring that skateboard over here. You know, you know just, just stupid stuff like that. So people, people bought it, right? The thing about that is, um, like, uh, like and, and Andy and thou has, um, will bring stuff up every now and then about, um, you know, from before we were in a, in the band together and like him just kind of knowing me from shows and stuff. He'll, and he'll bring up like stuff I've said and I'll have like absolutely no recollection of what he's talking, you know, cause it's just like when I'm like in these moods, it's just sort of like stream of consciousness, like BSing. So I'm just, you know. I'm just like, my mouth is just moving, you know, a thousand miles an hour. I'm just like making fun of everybody around me, making fun of myself. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just, it's just silly. It's just being silly. In the same email where um, Greg revealed your um, scar roots, he told me, he told me about Mitch. He told me for you, he said that you have really no opinion about scar, which I think is pretty interesting. It's not really a status that many people share. That not not a real strong opinion one way or the other. Uh, I guess so. I mean, I <laughs> sort of like Brian. I was into it, you know, when I was younger, and it was sort of the gateway into other things. Kind of a similar situation. You like you like Suicide Machines, though, right? Yeah, I, there are certain bands. That, yeah, Suicide Machines. I love Fishbone still, and they're like you know sort of a ska band, I guess. Uh, there's like a couple that I still get down on, but it, it wasn't ever like my thing, you know, I didn't, but I also didn't hate it. So you were part of the, you were into the punk scene and stuff in the nineties as well. And so you would be going to these no, shows. No, I was into like Incubus and 311 and no doubt. And uh, like Jurassic five and fishbone. That was like my thing for a long time. Still is sort of. You you're also way younger than me, so like you you you're yeah. like a, like ten in ninety eight like how yeah I was ten in ninety eight so yeah the late nineties was not when I was like finding myself in music so much you know so I found all that stuff a little bit later I mean when I was fourteen is when I the I bought my first CD and it was no doubt Tragic Kingdom and I was like oh this is the best thing I've ever heard <laughs> same as Brian like looking through liner notes you just find all those other bands and it's like okay this is good this is not good. I like a couple real big fish songs. I like a couple Goldfinger songs, and but I wasn't like buying their albums, you know. I want to ask you about um, the Bad Operation videos. Um, 
that was really intrigued me when I found out that you were you shot two of them and then you edited all four of them, correct? Yeah, that's right. So how did that come about? Is it, I, I assume you, you guys are just buds, or it, did, do you shoot videos for bands? Yeah, I, I started uh, directing a music videos sort of when I was living in Glendale uh, in uh, a couple of years ago. When I moved here, Greg was like, well, we need somebody. I've seen your stuff, and it's not terrible, so why don't you try... <laughs> <laughs> why don't you try doing stuff for us and uh, they had a guy zach who directed the other two that i didn't do and they were great i think he was just like unavailable and <laughs> they were like all right let's get mitch to do it it's zach 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 shorsh no 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 different zach uh that zach didn't he move away yeah he, he moved he moved yeah different zach zach that zach rules yeah his video stuff's really good too but yeah, I mean, you know, Greg and D-Ray are just nice guys and we just knew each other and for a couple of years and he saw that I did videos and just hit me up. And it was like super fun. And I did like the songs, which was cool too. <laughs> I don't I don't know if it was because I just had to like listen to them over and over and eventually they like clicked in and I was like, yeah, this is good. Or if it was like, oh, this is like a new take and I, I genuinely just like it. But it was like a fun thing to do, especially because I didn't hate the music. Uh, their, their stuff was one of my favorite things uh, in ska lately. And it was definitely a treat for 2020, the, the Bad Operation songs and particularly the videos. I felt like the videos were really established their aesthetic really well yeah they want to do a couple more too i hope we get the chance to uh knock a couple more out gotta do one for every song on that record that's what i told him and he's like yeah it might might end up going that way i mean they're at four and there's 10 songs so i mean we're not that far away the the second video that was your first one right bagel roots i think so i they're sort of they blur together to me now like which which title goes to which video that's the like one long shot where you, it's in the building that was the first one I, I like shot for them. Yeah, tell me about that. Uh, what was did um, was it the band's idea or did you pitch the idea to them? I pitched that one shot thing, but only after we got to that location. And Greg had an idea. Like they found this cool. It was actually Brian. What's the place where Josh works and presses records? The New Orleans Record Press. Is that the name of it? Yeah, yeah. They just have like a huge like rooms and rooms of warehouse behind this record press place. And he was like, yeah, we can go shoot there. And we'll just like get a couple shots here and a couple shots there. And we like spent a couple hours doing that. And it was fine. I mean, it was, you know, just like the band playing in this spot, the band playing in this spot and then like goofing off. And, uh, but it wasn't like the best looking thing. And I was like, well, why don't we try this? There's all these rooms. And if y'all spread out, we can try to do this one shot thing. And D-Ray was like into it. He's like, oh, cool. One shot music video. That's like a big deal. That's like a cool thing if you can pull it off. And I was like, yeah, you know, yeah, for sure. Like the directors or, you know, people that make stuff like that is always like an accomplishment if you can do a one shot thing and make it look good. And it's fun. You know, it's not the best looking thing, but it's uh, it was like fun to do. And luckily they were into just like playing around that day, you know? 
the shot where the first time D-Ray plays the trombone, you had he, you had seen him not very long ago on the keyboard, and then you know, you're moving around, yeah. and then he just kind of, in the background, walks by in a trombone. Uh-huh. That's always the shot that I think of, you know, that like I like a lot. And I'm sure that must have been really challenging, oh, yeah. right, to time that one in particular. He had to run his keyboard to where they all end up and then run back in time and not be on camera because there was there was no nobody there helping there was like one one person there who held uh the speaker for dominic to sing along to and they walked behind me as we were shooting and uh and so each member just like moved all their own shit and then ran back as fast as they could well d-ray ran back as fast as he could to make it and we, we did a couple like test runs you know and like just barely made it each time. So how many takes did you end up doing, like official takes before you guys got the one that's uh, in the video? I think we rehearsed it like three times and then shot it four times. Wow. Looking back, I'm like kind of bummed uh, about the end. I I like kicked myself. There was one full take we did that was like, I think we used the third one. And the fourth one, something went wrong in the middle, but the ending was really good. But I couldn't, you know, pull it in because it's one take. So I can't like, couldn't edit it together. Uh, but I'm just like kicking myself that it didn't work out. What was it? Was the ending just that it was a good performance or was there something extra that happened? that didn't... The performance was fine, but the one that we used, I think the camera just kind of like quickly pans up to like get out of the shot. And the last one that we didn't use the the camera is like watching them play and then i back up through the doorway the same way that dominic enters so it's sort of like a loop like starting over again or something oh nice yeah that would have been awesome yeah Yeah. i know i know and like even saying it i'm like i shouldn't say it then nobody will know that we fucked up (laughs) but uh yeah i i like watched that and i was like god i just i i wish we could go back and do it again and get it right the other video you shot brain right i think that's the name of it yeah i remember talking to them right after they filmed it before they released it and they were talking to me about how there was all these kids there and the kids were just really interested and really trying to participate in it and stuff what was that like filming that one it was cool i i hate doing stuff like that like getting in people's way and filming stuff in public i i I get real shy about it uh, but Greg specifically felt real confident about like, oh, I go, you know, I go skate here and the people are always really nice and it's fine. And uh, I was like, OK, cool. And there were so many people out. I was like, we're we're for sure just like bothering people that are trying to skateboard or bike or whatever. Uh, but we, we, we shot like the main stuff in this little bowl kind of away from everybody and then did some walking around stuff, just a couple shots and did didn't really bother anyone and anybody that they they hollered at to like be in the video and skate were real nice and like yeah sure let's do, you know whatever you need so it was fine i just had to like suck up this shyness and do it and all all the other you know the band guys were like real into it and having fun so it, it was it was nice one of them told me that some kids came up to you guys while you were filming and said what is this music and they're like ska. <laughs> I don't remember that happening, but uh, you know, th- either that happened and I wasn't around, or that's like their dream scenario of <laughs> how, how they want to meet people. What is this? 
oh, it's Scott. And it's like, <laughs> that could be made up. I don't know. So um, what the you guys filmed those all last year, right? So it was during the pandemic? Yeah. Yeah. We did them all like pretty close to each other, just a couple of weeks apart, really. Were you on set for the uh, other the other two that you didn't shoot? I was on set for one of them uh, for the green screen shoot, helping out with like a couple shots and just just being there to see what I was going to be getting into editing wise, like what to, what to expect and mm-hmm. talk about what they wanted. Uh, they shot two days in this spot, and I went for the first one, but like didn't really need to be there for the second one. And it was this working beer bottling place. So I was like, if I don't need to need to be there, I'm not going to go out in public, you know, COVID, COVID style. So, so I just hung back. That song perilous we're talking about. I was it your decision as an editor. I love how the sh- there's shots of band members at different, different, um, fo- you know, distances. And sometimes the same band member is in the shot yeah twice different shots that's just me having fun that's greg did uh holler at me to edit that one specifically i think because he's like i make a ton of just goofy videos for fun and i think he he likes my editing style and he's like oh we want this to be like not not like stupid silly but fun silly you know, and he's like, oh, I think your style would work. Your editing style would work really well for this. Uh, just kind of go nuts and then we'll go from there. And I was like, okay, cool. That's what every editor wants to hear, you know, like just do your thing. And they just dug it. You know, it, it worked out that they were like, yeah, this is really fun. Did you worry that they were going to think you were, it was too silly the, like the f- first time? I was a little worried. I initially had like, they gave me, you know, they told me some of what they wanted. Like, we want some of the backgrounds to be ska, you know, the checker thing. We want that to be a thing. And I was like, okay, I'll keep that in mind. And I worked within some of the, like, initial notes they gave me. And I knew not to, like, you know, make it stupid. But the first time I, the first time I, <laughs> yeah, the first time I sent it to them, they were like, this is a great start. Here's like one or two things we want to change. I think we took out a couple of the backgrounds, like checkered things I had in. They were like, let's just whittle it down. Uh, but it, but like the tone of it, I think was right the whole time. No, it was a great, and that's the introduction that they they had gave to the world. Yeah, I think it was a pretty good here we are video because that's the one with also them like running around under the bridge, right, and uh, in the like driving in the car. And Zach shot all that stuff. And I think that stuff is like gorgeous. I think it's so like like slow motion playing under the bridge. It's so happy and like wholesome and then, you know, silly and goofy. So it's, I don't know. It was like a fun, Hey, this is the vibe of the band kind of thing to put together. Yeah. I may mention it wasn't your call, but I love the decision they went with to just make all of the videos and all the press photos black and white. Yeah. They were definitely that they were like, this is, this is the thing, you know, and, I took some photos of them before I, I, I swooped in on a practice of theirs and used, I, I got them to do something for a video I was doing, got them to play some stuff. And then after that, we took some photos and he's like, Hey, if, can you, if you can edit these, everything's in black and white. Like they knew early on, like, this is the style we're sticking with. And uh, it was smart, smart move. What was the video you were shooting? Oh, uh, it's it's real silly. Uh, every year I do this on uh, 311 Day, March 11th. 
I do this I do this thing called the four one one on three one one, where where I, I like uh, I do like five or six episodes a day. I think this is going to be the fifth year coming up, and it's just like three eleven facts that may or may not be true. You know who knows? And uh, this year I was I was like hosting, I like sit at a desk or just sit in front of a TV and talk about stuff. And this year I was like, oh, it'd be funny to throw to a band as like, all right, take it away, bad operation. And they just play a ska version of like a 311 song over and over and over. And so we just went and shot that and it was like really silly. And we had some like interaction about, oh, are you, is this the only song y'all are doing? And like, it's the only one you told us to learn. And it was, you know, real silly, but fun stuff. <laughs> Uh, i think it was down because it was like the easiest for them to learn on the spot and greg took greg was playing bass but then he he gave the bass to dominic and greg started singing he's just like bouncing around all over the place and he was like cracking up is is real funny and so this is on what your instagram yeah it's on instagram at mitch wales give me a follow What are some of the more known videos? What are some of the stuff you've done? Uh, I did a handful of videos for different bands uh, for Sargent House. Do you know that record label at all? It's not at all in the ska world, so maybe not. Uh, it kind of is. Our Bandits was on that label. Oh, were they? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Uh, I did videos for... Who did I do? Uh, miserable who is christina esperandi's like side project she's in king woman uh i did a video for brutus which was a, a band there i did a lingua ignata video which is the best thing i've ever made but it never got released which is uh kind of a bummer Wait, what was what was in the video oh no it was just uh no, nothing bad in the video. I think it's it's the best thing I've ever shot. You gotta leak. You gotta leak it. I, I think about leaking it almost every day. We'll be right back after this. Hey, everybody! It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA plus, and they include camping. Russ. How do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. What's the uh, what's the epic thing that you shot that you're proud of? Oh, just the whole video. It's like an 11-minute song and uh, or like a 9-minute song and the video is like 11. It's basically a short film. And it, there were just towards the end some uh, creative direction uh, disagreements between myself and <laughs> and man management uh, management of the artist. So okay. <laughs> you know they decided to shelve it, which is fine. It is fine. It's fine. It's just you know the thing that would have turned my career around. It's not a big deal. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> this is your opus, and it's getting shelved. It, it it really is. It's like everybody that's that I've shown it to. You know, there's like a handful of people in the video, and they were like, "What happened?" You know, we never. Did. And I'd send it to them and they're all like, oh my God, I can't believe this isn't out. And I'm like, yeah, well, you know, what can I, can't do anything. So just, you know, a handful of things that like Greg has seen. And I, I, I like make shorts and goofy things all the time. That's just, just for fun. And, uh, 
I think Greg was a fan of that stuff. So Val has, have you guys only done one record with Community? Yeah. Um, that record, um, what is it? It's called uh, Inconsolable. Inconsolable. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great record. It's an acoustic record. Thank you. Have, have you had a long relationship with Community Records or those guys leading up to that? Uh, yeah. No, I've known him for a long time. I mean, I've known I've known uh, Greg since he was like a high school kid. And then me, me tabling all those Farron Albert shows, I got to know some of the other guys, D-Ray. And, uh, you know, I've done shows at Greg's coffee shop before. We've Dallas played there a few times. Um, yeah, we, we've known him for a bit. I mean, did, didn't all people stay at your house, Mitch? Yeah, when they were out in L.A. They probably did, yeah. I, I, so many bands have crashed over there. We, we've known those guys for I mean, Greg, Greg came on a weekend Dow tour one time. Yeah, when I first joined that, we went and played, um, I think, like, Birmingham, Memphis, and maybe one other spot. And uh, he, he was with us on that tour. Did a little week, weekend thing. Yeah, we bring people out on tour with us. We don't make them do anything. They just come to hang out. And so he was a kid. No, I, th- I mean, that was 2007. So, I mean, he, he had to be, like, college or post-college age at that point. I mean, he's not he's not that young. I mean when he was he was in high school and he was in a band before Father and Albert called Skycopter Four was the was this other like ska band he was in. And they played I used to live at like a punk warehouse space and he put on some show and they played it and it was on like Christmas Eve day or or I think it was like Christmas Eve day or something. Something like that. And he was definitely in high school then. And I remember I had to like toss some like high school kids out of the house for like drinking at the show. This, this kid like yelling in my face about like, how can, how can you have fun at a show and not be drinking? I was just like, you got to get the fuck out of here. Like I'm a, I'm a grown man. Like if cops come here, I'm going to jail and, and you're going home. Like you got to go. I mean, you got to go. I'm going to get, get out. You got to get, get up. <laughs> So I've known Greg, and that was like probably like 2003, and he, and I guess he was like somewhere in high school then. Uh, I don't really know where Farron Albert falls on their on their timeline. When Katrina happened, um, they had been a band already for a few years, and then they were Greg was second year of college, I think. D Ray was first year at that point and i think that's when the band got ex- more serious yeah and they and they were together for a while because i i was in oakland from august 2005 for about a year after that so i moved back maybe like the end of 2006 something like that maybe summer 2006 and um and they were still going i mean that was when they were kind of going strong and and i feel like they were still doing it for like a few years after I moved back. So they must have been doing it for a while. Where did where did you live in Oakland? I lived on 34th and Telegraph. Okay. I was at 23rd and MLK. Okay, yeah. Same neighborhood. Yeah, not not too far. I used to ride my bike down to uh back that way to get to there's like uh in Emeryville where like uh there's like two grocery stores back there, like the you bag it or whatever. Yep, that uh pack and pack and save. Pack and save, yeah. So I knew it was something like that. Yeah. I remember like the first time I went, I didn't realize like, oh, you gotta you gotta bring your own bag to this place. That's why it's so cheap. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think when I would go get groceries there, I would I would take a duffel bag and and you know, take them back home on on the bike. 
how did you end up in Oakland? Was did you have uh, friends or family there? Nope. Uh, had been through it a few times on tour, and uh, I loved California. Was at one point I was thinking about moving out to Santa Barbara just because I love. I had such a good time in Santa Barbara and like loved it so much. Uh, and then so when Katrina happened, it was sort of like up in the air if we could even get back in the city. And so rather than like waiting around, I was just like, you know, fuck it, I'm just gonna. I'm going to move out to, to California. And then one, one of my buddies uh, moved out there with me. And uh, and then one of our other buddies, the guy James that uh, records all of our records, him and his girlfriend uh, moved out. We, all, we basically all moved out there. And um, I think I got out there. Either I, I got out there first or Jonathan got out there first. But anyway, we he he had a pal out there that he stayed with. And I had, I had somebody I, I kind of knew from like bands for putting on this dude's band uh shows for his band in new orleans uh and we basically like stayed on couches for a couple weeks and then found a place to move into and and just moved in lived there lived there for a year and and then and left was it was it a tough or easy decision to go back um at the time it was easy i mean i really liked california and i loved living there but um it just felt like i was on sabbatical you know like um in New Orleans, I like the putting on shows and like being involved with punk felt like it served a purpose. Like it felt like there was a sort of vacuum there if I wasn't there doing certain things. Like there were times like I visited New Orleans a couple of times um, while I was living in Oakland, and I put on shows in New Orleans while I came there for like vacation or whatever. You know what I mean? Like it was stuff like that, and and like right when I was coming back, like I was sort of like getting involved in the iron rails, just like the anarchist uh, info shop. And so it just felt like if I moved back, it was like, um, there was stuff for me to do, you know, whereas like living in California, specifically the Bay area, specifically the East Bay, um, it just, there's like a million people doing stuff like, and, and it just didn't seem like I needed to be one of those people. Like I didn't have to do stuff. I, we, I, I started a band, me and, uh, and James Witten and, and the guy Jonathan West that uh, we'd all moved out there together. We started a band with a couple of California dudes we knew. Um, but it was like going, it was like progressing real slow. And um, and at the time, like James had gotten an offer to go do sound warp tour or something. So he he was going to be out for like three months. And um, the other, one of the other guys was going to be out for, for a couple months. And um, I don't know, it was just things were going too slow. And then, when I'd come home to New Orleans, it seemed like there was all this cool stuff to like do and be involved with. So it was just, it was more encouraging. And, and then like home homesickness, you know, I never, I never lived anywhere else. And um, I think, I think culturally also, um, you know, it's like, I, I, I like the sort of progressive politics of the West coast, but um, I found a lot of those people to be like really annoying. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I mean, just like, um, I don't know. It just, it, it just was the sort of thing where like it's, it people took for granted all the cool stuff that was like at their fingertips. And, and it was also like uh, in terms of like punk or, or even more specifically like straight edge or like veganism. Um, those were like cool things, like cool identities to have. Whereas like in new Orleans is like very not cool to, to be any of those things. 
and, and you have to sort of like fight and scrap for like, you know, any good thing to come out of like, um, that stuff. So I don't know, like the, it just, it just didn't, it just wasn't really gelling with me culturally. What was, what was the California band you started called? It was called Path of Daggers, Crown of Swords. We, we never played. We, um, we wrote seven or eight songs, recorded them. There's like a recording of it. Cause James, um, the apartment we moved into, um, it was basically like a, a like a fourplex mm-hmm. and, um, we lived upstairs and James and his girlfriend lived in one of the downstairs apartments. And, um, uh, our neighbors were these like random vegan straight edge people we had met at a show that we had become friends with. And we all just happened to move in there at the same time. And then underneath us was this like super old lady, like 90 year old lady. And at some point when we were all living there, the lady died in the apartment. And, and so at some point she was just like gone and that apartment was empty and we would practice in our apartment. And, uh, at some point, once we had a couple of songs, James just like ran a snake down to his apartment and just recorded every, he had like a little studio set up in his apartment and, uh, just recorded everything. Um, so yeah, we didn't, we didn't do anything. We never did anything. I mean, we had, we had offers and to do stuff and, um, and, and like rough plans to do stuff. And um, I don't know, it could have been some, it probably would have been something kind of cool just cause like, I feel like um, living in the Bay area specifically, there's a lot of opportunities um, to play cool shows. You know, if your band is even like halfway decent. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, also what, what you said about, you know, wanting to go back because you felt like you served more of a purpose in new Orleans. I can totally relate to that i feel like there's always so much happening in the bay area that sometimes you get paralysis of like too many too many choices yeah like you don't even know what you want to do because there's so many different things going on on any given night i i never got to that point i think everybody else who moved out with me out there with me sort of like at some point was over it but like i was still going to shows by myself um when everybody else sort you know what i mean like all kinds. I mean, I saw so many sick shows that I like, I never would have gotten to see living in new Orleans. And, um, I mean, I walked around the block to, um, from my house to, um, what's the name of that club? It's, uh, some like little dive bar in, in the, like the, the VIP or the something with airplanes or something. So some little dive bar, but I saw, I saw the band of Templars play there, which is like, you know, like this, like, to me, like this, like the only oi band I even give a shit about, and like a band that like I never thought I'd ever see in my life, and I just had to walk two blocks, you know, two blocks from my house to go see him. It's like it's insane, you know. And yeah, so I don't know. I, I had a great time. I, I mean, I, I, towards the end, I was um I was going to the collective meetings at Gilman Street. I was gonna I was gonna uh, volunteer over there and try to start doing stuff over there, but um I don't know. It was just like it was just kind of like what's the point? Like I was. I was working a job that I hated and I'd basically spend all my free time either going to shows or sitting in my apartment, downloading music off of soul seek. God, that sounds exactly like what I was doing when I was living in Oakland at the exact same time. Yeah, that was it. And, and when I lived out there, I, this was like right before I went vegan, which is so stupid because I, I, I went vegan, uh, like right when I moved back to new Orleans and new Orleans, when I moved back in 2006, like new Orleans is sort of like, 
vaguely inhospitable to being vegan. Right. So I moved from like the easiest <laughs> place to be vegan, you know what I mean? Have like all kinds of like great choices to like one of the like hardest places where like people are like, you know, active, you know, go out of their way to like make your life miserable if you if you're vegan. So it's it's right. kind of kind of ironic. Well, yeah, and the East Bay is like there's so many vegan places to eat. I don't know if you'll you'll know where this spot is, but near the Grand Lake Theater, there was a used to be like a, a quick stop or something. It was like a drive-in restaurant type place, and it had been shut for years. But they just reopened that as a vegan spot, so it's like totally centrally located. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't know it, but I guarantee you we'll go we'll go there next time we're on tour out there for sure. So when you when you came back to New Orleans, you joined Thou not too long after that, then right? Yeah, pretty pretty soon afterwards. When I I came back and I was basically um, looking for any heavier bands that I could put on shows. Not necessarily like I mean I was doing a lot of hardcore shows and I wasn't necessarily looking for hardcore bands, but anything that would like sort of fit with that kind of music. And I found Val on MySpace and uh, they had a couple songs up and I, I liked them and I. Um, at the time, I I actually hit. I knew. I kind of knew. Um, I knew Andy from. Um, he had played in a in a hardcore band called uh, Torn Apart by Horses, and so I kind of I kind of I kind of knew him from that. Uh, and then he was in. And then when I moved back, he was in a couple other bands that I was putting on shows, like more like hardcore type bands. And so I hit him up about it, like, "Hey, just kick that singer out. Let me scream in this band. It'd be awesome." And. Uh, <laughs> and it kind of poo-pooed that, um, but it eventually happened. I mean, they didn't kick out the singer. The singer's one of the guitar players. But do you remember I when I hit you up for stuff for now, Brian, for like touring contacts? Yeah, yeah. Mitch hit me up. This is like pre-Katrina, so it must have been um, maybe 2004. When did when did y'all start? When did y'all get together? 2004. Something. 2004, 2005. It must have been 2004 because I, I was still living at the warehouse. I don't know. I, I was a I was a senior in high school in 2004, so I, I think it was a little after that. Maybe like a year or two after that. Uh, couldn't have been two. I mean, it had to be before Katrina. Uh, yeah. Okay. Maybe 2000. Maybe maybe early 2005. So Mitch hits Mitch Mitch hits me up about oh yeah I'm in Spain and we're gonna go on tour. Do you have any contacts? Because I was like kind of a go to person for like getting like touring contacts from and so i was like yeah i can give you some context like uh what, what kind of band what's the band called he's like oh we don't have a name yet and i was like <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about like you, why would you you don't have a name yet you're trying to book a tour like what are you talking about we didn't we, we didn't know what we like, <laughs> literally no idea what we were doing the only reason anybody knows who we are is because of you brian uh we had no idea. It's a good thing y'all didn't do the kind of touring that I did, you know, before I, before Val started touring, because I think y'all wouldn't have had the stamina for it if you had if you had gone through like some shitty some shitty tours, some actual shitty tours. No, definitely not. So you brought some pretty solid contacts well, with you when you joined I the mean, band. Yes, Brian's like the guy. More more than they had, more than they had, but it was it was more by luck and 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 by me joining at that particular point in time especially because it was like 
it was like right after I had lived in California. So I was like a little tighter with a lot of people on the West coast in different bands or whatever. So like it was, yeah, it was a little bit easier for us to do stuff, for us to do stuff. But also we've been real lucky in terms of all that touring stuff because I've definitely been on plenty of tours before. I mean, I've been going on tour since 2001, 2000, 2001, something like that. Basically like every summer, either in a band I'm in or with a friend's band, you know, for weeks or a month at a time. And I've been on like real shitty tours, you know, where you're not making any money. You're lucky if, if the show happens, if the show happens, you're lucky, you know, like that, that's a victory. So, um, yeah, I mean, Dow never had those problems. I mean, we, we had a, we had a few, we had a few shows fall through, uh, in the very beginning of us touring. Uh, we had a, we had a, a funny, but bad experience in San Diego San Francisco, like the first, was that wait wait was that funny bad experience with the six dollars thing? No, no, that was uh, where was that? That was um, uh, that was like Eureka or uh, yeah, 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 Arcada, one of those places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was funny. Uh, San Francisco, the first like two or three times we tried to play, I tried to play there, the shows fell through every time. I mean, a couple of those were like people I knew, like was like buddies with, and you're like, oh, I just I fucked I fucked up, man. Sorry. Wait, you know what? You know what's so funny that I just remember, Brian, about those contacts you gave me was uh, you, you like gave me well, you sent me a link, right? And they were all on, on the website. It's a page on Nola DIY, like a backend page on Nola DIY. Yeah. So you sent me that, and I would like made a route, right? And then I I wrote everything down in this on paper and got like maps and shit and contact, and I like wrote it all out and put it in this binder. Right. And then uh, it was like the tour binder that the Al, you know, we kept talking about the binder. And and when the tour didn't work out, I was like, so bummed. I was like, man, all these things. I had the binder, you know, the binder was like ready to go. And Matthew and Andy, I, I can still hear they're like, hey, hey, nobody's questioning the binder. We all know. And and so I and, and that became a thou song. There's like on on the Is that what binder is? That's what binder is. It's the binder of info that you gave me. Oh wow. Do you still have the binder? No, long gone. If you, if you had that binder, I was gonna say we should just do that. We should do, do that tour. tour. Yeah, oh we should my do that God. right. That'd be amazing, yeah. The binder tour. Binder. So you guys you guys gotta tell us the six dollars story now. Oh, we just, we, um, do y'all know, uh, do y'all know Sterling? He's like, a, um, he played in, uh, who do you play with? He played with, um, I just remember him as the, uh, kid that almost passed out in Baton Rouge cause he was he was only eating raw food and nobody had raw food for him. Yeah. You don't have any almonds? <laughs> he was at the show in like in Spanish town or something and it was like, he was like about to faint and he's like, I just need, I want to eat like an eggplant or something. And nobody had, nobody had anything. Uh, he was in lockstep and I don't know what other man, I feel like he's been in a few bands. He's like a, he's like a Arcada slash Bay area dude. But, uh, he, he did a show. I don't think it was his, it was some hot random house. And, um, we played in a kitchen, us in this band leech to maybe like two people. I want to say. Yeah, so they so they took money, they took money and um, 
he he comes up to us at the end of the show. He comes up to our, our one of our our buddy that was with us, Derek, at the end of the show, and he's like, "Here's the money. It's six dollars." It's just one of those things that's like hilarious. The way he said it, and like the context of like, yeah, we know it's not. This is not going to be the show to make money. On. We we had to split it with Leech too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Amazing. <laughs> just one of those things that sticks out. Yeah, I mean, we I still love Sterling. We see Sterling all the time. I love him. They, th- they threw Terry out of that show for eating his Doritos because it was a vegan house. <laughs> they, they made him go out front to eat the Doritos. You eat those Doritos outside. I, 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 didn't, I didn't remember that. <laughs> you don't remember that? Oh, yeah. No. That's <laughs> was he pissed? Did he, like, throw a fit? Yeah, he was pissed. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome, yeah. Uh, do you guys have anything else? Uh, what's up? What's Dow up to right now? You guys have anything coming out? Well, the oh, we can't talk about the thing that's about to be announced, huh? Or when when does this come out? Which thing are you talking about? Wait, I think I think the thing is, I saw a thing on your guys's wiki. The Opeon. Oh yeah, I'm sure we, you could you could talk about that. We just have two songs on this compilation, Opeon covers. Uh, like a, a a benefit for it's like cancer research in Canada or something. Uh, this person we really like passed away, and a bunch of artists are like covering her songs. Some buds are on there. And, uh, that's I think that's the next and only thing we have coming out right now. Right, the next thing. Uh, yeah. I mean, just compilation stuff like that. Nothing big. I mean, that comp's gonna be cool. Yeah. Uh, we just we just our our um our recording engineer James Witten. Uh, we just covered his high school band. Uh, the band he was in when we were both like teenagers, this band Ginger Quail. We just did a cover of one of their songs that I think is incredible. Um, it's like the best thing we've ever done. Did you did you like that cover, Mitch? You didn't even play on it. I didn't even play it. James played it, I, which I thought was cool. I was like. At first, I was like, well, what do I even need to be? Why am I here at the studio? James played bass. And I was like, I'm not, I don't need to record just to record. Should have added second bass. No. When, when you told me it was his <laughs> band, I was like, oh, it, it's even cooler that he played on it since it was his band, you know? So that's cool. Yeah, I, I love that. that but that, that just came out on a benefit comp down here. I mean, that's all. We, um, we keep talking about writing new stuff but we haven't written a song in like two years so well matthew and i are in another band and we are recording next month yeah see that they, they're 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 uh doing another band that was done that was done pizza daughter is pizza daughter is <laughs> yeah you got you guys have done a lot of nirvana covers we've done we a sure, few we sure yeah. have what if you guys had to do an operation ivy cover what song would you do? Any idea? Yeah, I mean, I, if it was up to me, we do Jaded and we do uh, Plea for Peace. Nice. Plea for Plea for Peace would be cool. So when can we expect this uh, two song Operation <laughs> Ivy cover? Got to get the other dudes on. I think I think Andy's kind of burnt out on all the cover songs. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a lot more to pitch actually. There's a we're literally being referred to as a cover band. Lately. Yeah, that's fine. The only Doom cover band. Are are me and you the only two that like the Pixies? Because there's a Pixie song I really want to do for the uh, the the Geography of Robots soundtrack. 
I bet uh I bet Tyler loves the Pixies. I could see KC being into them. Yeah. Matthew, no way. Hates them. There's like a real random song like if we uh if we can rework that one drone throwaway drone track from the persona session. The like uh you remember that one that sounds like a, like a earth ripoff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If we can rework that, there's a song off of um Surfer Rosa towards the end that's like um Damn, I wish I knew what it's called, but it's like it's like a kind of like uh, deserty, like it sounds like that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that would be like a perfect to like come out of that like Earth ripoff right into this Pixies cover. I love that. Yeah, we 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 might have to do it. Sans the rest of uh, Sans like Andy and and Matthew, and then try to try to pitch it to them once it's like mostly recorded. All right. Well, we look forward to that with the Operation Ivy cover EP. Thank you so much for listening to In Defense of Scum. If you haven't already, subscribe to my newsletter at aaroncarns.substack.com. You will get episodes of the In Defense of Scum podcast and other content sent directly to your inbox. If you would like to pre-order my book, In Defense of Scum, go to clashbooks.com. It releases on May 4th, 2021. On that note, we leave you by saying, Scum now more than ever. Thank you. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.